Hey everybody, this is Jason. Some of you noticed I didn't post an episode last week. Terribly sorry about that. This week we are back to the story, but this is a great chance to mention a way you can help keep Standby for Paradise on the air. This little passion project takes several hours a week, and if you like the show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. You can find me by searching my name, Jason Fleming, with one M, on patreon.com, or just use the link in the show notes of this podcast. You can also help spread the word about the show by telling your friends, leaving me a rating, or a review. Thanks so much for listening, and now, back to the show. This is Jason, and welcome to Stand By for Paradise. This was not a position I had ever expected to be in. My friend Devin said he knew this place, but as soon as we walked into the door, we had been separated. It happened so quickly, I hadn't been able to say anything. We were down a back street in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and I had no idea where we were. Two men had taken Devin across the street, and I was now alone in the small crowded room. I had broken another cardinal rule of travel by getting separated from my bag that held my camera and my laptop. My entire life as a traveling freelancer was now across the room under a bench filled with men silently watching me. I had only a moment to come to grips with where I was before a young man in a black face mask reached a tattooed hand to his back pocket and pulled out a straight razor. It seemed so anachronistic, this tool of another era. He looked me over, put his hand to my temple, and seconds later, the razor was at my neck. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before. And that was a shame. I was at the Cutler, the best barbershop in Chiang Mai, and I was in for the finest haircut and shave of my life. The Cutler was among the first hipster-inspired barbershops to crop up in Chiang Mai. Riding on the wave of cultural adoption and mimicry the Thai seem unnaturally good at, this unassuming shop in a corner of the old city had become known among the expat and nomad crowds. For very little money, you could come out looking like a million dollars with a hot shave and a haircut rivaling those found only in the fussiest of barbershops in the gentrified Western world. Word had gotten around though, and now you needed to make an appointment several days ahead of time. The shop itself was a strange mix of local flair and adopted Western decor. One could hardly tell what had been brought in just for show and what was there out of a genuine love of the Anglophile aesthetic of it all. It would have been a strange expression of colonialism, except that Thailand was never colonized in the same fashion as its neighbors. Underneath ornately framed mirrors, horsehair brushes and gleaming scissors lined the counter. Old razors were dropped regularly into an empty Jameson bottle. The walls were lined with framed prints and reproduced early 20th century adverts for Guinness and shave cream. It all suggested we were in a tiny corner of England rather than packed into a back street halfway around the world. Regardless of the origin or the intent of the decor, I was now resigned to my fate. 
Trying to ease back in the chair, I glanced around while the barber, in his black mask, prepared his utensils and then squared on me. At first, I was a little uncomfortable, until I realized he was not looking at me exactly. He was only looking at my hair. More than that, he was looking at how my hair would soon be, and the effort to see into the future put a wild, intense look into his eyes. I felt like a dumb block of marble about to be carved, having no idea what vision was brewing in the mind of the craftsman. Then, without warning, the scissors were up. There was no turning back now. My barber gripped and turned my head like a melon in one hand, while the other did unknown things to my hair out of my line of sight. With nothing else to do, I closed my eyes and drifted off into the American rock music, playing from the speakers down the crowded counter from the Jameson bottle full of razors. Before leaving for this trip, I had fielded a wave of text messages and phone calls from concerned relatives and friends, asking if my wife and I were sure we still wanted to go. The King of Thailand had just died, and the Western press made it sound like unrest was inevitable. Each day we talked with people we knew who were already on the ground in Chiang Mai. Everyone said the mood was tense, but the worst of it had been the run on the local booze store before the army shut it down ahead of the period of official mourning. Perhaps predictably, the mood in Bangkok was subdued, but only just. For all the network anchor fear-mongering, we arrived to peaceful streets and the legendarily warm welcome of the Thai people. Though there were smiles on many faces, it felt a bit like meeting someone for the first time at a funeral. We knew we had come in an awkward moment, but life moves on, even in the face of the loss of a monarch or a demigod. The following evening, we made it to Chiang Mai and were immediately plunged into the mind-bending world of exquisite food, unbearably good coffee, and maddening traffic that is northern Thailand. Our ride from the airport was in an official shuttle complete with air conditioning and a uniformed driver. That would be the last time we were conveyed in such style. From the first night, getting around meant open-back Songtao truck taxis or tuk-tuks, and eventually scooters. It was all part of the slow settling in to as much of the local culture as we could soak up in our short few weeks in the country. One of the best ways to experience a new place is to look around and see where your hesitations are out of alignment with the local vibe. When you can learn not to fear what the locals accept, be it wild new food or an apparent lack of traffic laws, you take your first steps towards seeing the world through new eyes. Mystery meat skewers from a cart on the side of a busy road in the sweltering night air might seem sketchy at first, but with the line halfway down the block, there must be something to it. See old women go dashing into traffic to grab the rail of a Songtao and climb up into the bed of a pickup with no door on the back, and it starts to seem like a pretty good way to get around. See a couple Saudi princes or Emirati sheikhs arrive at the hospital with their entourage, and you begin to think maybe getting medical care away from home might not be the end of the world. All of these experiences are strung together with a common thread, that of giving over a bit of your judgment and autonomy. 
The taste of the food, the route of the cars, the timing of the buses are all out of your control, and that is okay. For Americans like me, stepping into a Songtao, a taxi that sort of works like a bus, and sometimes just stops in the general vicinity of where you are going without really reaching the final destination, can be a bit novel. Rather than pulling up where you expected, the driver would stop, seemingly at random, knock on the back window of the pickup, and point for you to hop out to pay. As you handed over the cash, you would be told the rest of the directions to wherever the truck couldn't bother to go. Only when you really travel, when you get outside the little tourist book bubble, do you find out how much fear and misconception you carry with you. To be sure, traveling as a tall white man, I have margins of security that are wider than others might feel. Still, the preconceptions of what is dangerous, where something bad might happen, and what could go wrong are not what you find them to be once you are out in the world for real. Of course, it is true that there can be tense moments and unfortunate encounters. During my travels, I have been fleeced occasionally, and every now and then found some comfort in a pool of lamplight while I waited to see if the guy behind me was really following me down a dark street, or if we had merely fallen into the same pace. Once on an Italian train, I played a game of musical chairs back and forth between cars to see if the young man in the hoodie who kept looking my way was going to follow up on his angry stares, or if he was just not thrilled about going to Genoa. The stories we tell each other of our travels, and of the places we don't yet know, matter. It is easy to repeat a startling headline, and easier still to carry a huge weight of expectations with you when you travel. Spend some time out and about, though, and you discover that a few dramatic headlines aside, people are just waiting to see if you are willing to fall into the flow of their lives. I thought about all of this as I lay there in the chair at the cutler, my startlingly attentive barber taking exacting subtractions from the hair over my ears with that straight razor. He was treating this haircut like it was surgery, an experience that probably would have shocked many of the tourists ambling past this nondescript building on their way to the nearby park listed in the tourist guide. I let my head ease into the headrest and felt the cold scrape of the blade over my chin and down my neck. It was a pure, clean edge, and what little stubble I can manage offered no resistance. I had never in my life, in the supposed luxury of my western world, had someone put this much attention into making me presentable. I knew hipster barbers back there in America were busily trying new mustache wax in an effort to revive lost manliness, but I doubted any of them had really mastered the craft like this guy. When I finally arose from the chair, rejuvenated from the hot towel and shoulder massage, my barber bowed to me and one of the men on the bench handed me my bag. As he did, I caught a twinge of the sweetest sense of sadness any traveler can feel. It was the sensation of knowing a tiny piece of the comfortable world you call home will now never seem as good as the new experience you just stumbled upon, almost by accident. These are the most poignant, most meaningful, and most worthwhile gifts traveling can offer. When enough fear and presumption is finally stripped away, sometimes you see that a strange corner of the world can really be as beautiful and welcoming as your own, if not even more so. This is the moment when the people you meet truly become people just like you, and the whole world starts to feel like home. 
Over the years, I would end up getting my hair cut in other strange places, including a benign barbershop in a sleepy town on the coast of New Zealand, and a smoky Serbian location in the bottom of a brooding communist-era office building, where the cut began with a shot of rakia and ended with a beer, because Serbia. Standing here, though, in this low-slung barbershop crammed in between other storefronts in the old city of Chiang Mai, I knew I would never have a haircut this good again. At the end of this trip, I would go home to the predictability and safety and convenience of my American life, where I would eat food I was accustomed to and drive my truck wherever I pleased on relatively safe roads. Behind the wheel of that truck, though, I would never look as good as I was about to look, stepping into the sweltering sun to dash through traffic and disappear into the bed of a bright red pickup going wherever it was going for a scant 30 baht. This is Stand By for Paradise, a little show made by me, Jason Fleming. You can read the full text of each episode, as well as see pictures from these stories at standbyforparadise.com. If you like the show, please share it with someone. If you love the show, you can support it on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.